Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two pawns. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, unnamed trading them. firms who are very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate puzzle. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So this is also, I just want to announce, the 400th show of Unchained. Woo, yeah, it's amazing. We're very excited. Um, we, uh, we're actually, we're officially taking over Unchained in celebration of the 400th episode. So every episode from now on is only going to be the chopping block. Uh, so we're just going to be doing this three times a week. <laughs> so look out for that. Uh, all right, team intros real quick. So first we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next up, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Uh, then we've got Tarun, the Giga Brain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. And then you have myself, I'm Haseeb, I'm the head hype man at Dragonfly. So the four of us are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. So guys, it has been uh, a pretty down bad kind of week. Um, the, the, the main news of the week has been the merge. We were talking about it pretty much nonstop for every show for the last like two months. And the merge happened. It went off basically without a hitch, as good as one could have expected. And in my mind, like the outcomes, the decision tree at, when the merge happened was either, okay, one, the merge fails, in which case everything's going to dump, or two, the merge succeeds and either rallies and everything's great and we're all happy, or path three, the merge succeeds, but it was priced in and nothing happens. Instead, what happened is that the merge succeeded and everything just proceeded to turbo dump and ETH is now in the shitter. Um, I only have one word for you. Taxes. Ta taxes? Wait, September 15th? Why September 15th? It's like October. So everyone is selling their crypto. Oh, people are selling anticipation of taxes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the long and short of it. So everybody made a ton of money last year. The market was up. Everybody was like churning crypto, buying it, selling it. Everybody filed extensions, which are due soon. And people are just now realizing how much money they made last year and how much lower their crypto is relative to last year. But hold on, but why would this affect? No, no, no. Why would this affect Ether more than Bitcoin? That doesn't make any sense. It's impacting everything. It's our, yeah, it's a, it seems, yeah, it's seemingly uniformly across the board. I, I think the ETH thing may have been that like peop, more people are speculating for the merge, but then like yeah. once it was a nothing burger, it was like, a nothing burger in a good way. Sorry, not. I don't mean that. I'm not trying. I'm trying to say like nothing in like there was no excitement, right? ETHW died immediately, basically. So I, I, I guess like the, the, that part, people were hoping to probably make some carry on for whatever little time they, that trade existed. And then like now they're like, oh, shit, we need to pay taxes. I, 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 the best explanation I heard was basically people were long ETH spot to get the airdrop, short perps, and then just there's a ton of you know, spot selling post-merge. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of why you're, you're seeing that in the market. But wouldn't that be offset by buying in the perps? 
Yeah. It's like, and also like ETH Pow was so small. Like it was priced at like 1%. So what, yeah, what, I mean, it what was, the hell it was a terrible doing? airdrop, but like a lot of people were putting on the trade, right? Like, I mean, you, you see that in the funding rates and everything. So, I mean, I think the argument is like ETH is less, SPA is less liquid than perps. And so that's why it's just like, you see you know, more sell pressure now. And it's like so immediate because no one actually wants the ETH after that. It seems like this create this trade just became so overcrowded that it no longer made any sense, right? Because like you're you're getting presumably you're getting one percent. That's what this thing was being priced at in the IOUs. So you're 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 taking these crazy funding rates, you're taking all this risk just for one percent, and then you have to get out of your trade. By which point, you know, ETH has already started dumping. So it seems that in aggregate, this was a massively, massively overdone trade. That but that happens a lot in general, right? It was just such an obvious trade, right? It's so easy to explain why this trade makes sense. And there was all the story about moving to the upside. Um, it's really unfortunate because I feel like Ethereum didn't really get a true celebration because basically the day after it got kicked in the teeth. So it, feel, it feels really sad. That, that being said, I do think Ethereum deserves a lot of credit because the merge was completely correct. It was a non-event in a great way. The blockchain is running smooth ever since. The inflation rate is like half a percent a year at this point, like in the days since, you know, the block speed is 12 seconds. It's like Ethereum is better than it was a week ago. And I think it deserves a lot of kudos. Minus the uh, deflation didn't happen component. Yes, the argument for deflation. Yeah, for, for a minute there, people were pretty thrilled, but it's, it's still materially less than it was, right? Like that's sort of the you know, counter argument, so. Well, it's also materially less than Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is like between 1% and 2% inflation. So Ether is now more disinflationary than Bitcoin is, which is pretty, very impressive. Yeah, very true. And I mean, it, it, it clearly, like if you, there was, a, there was a chart that I can't, I mean, there's been like 20 of these charts of showing uh, at, the, at the rate at which fees are being paid and burned through EIP-1559, um, if the merge had been activated at different times, what would be the net uh, inflation rate or deflation rate? In Ethereum, and there are clearly a bunch of times over the last cycle that you would have been uh, net net uh, uh, deflationary. Uh, now, right now, we're at the bottom of that cycle. Gas fees are super low on a relative basis, um, and so yeah, the ether is not going to be deflationary right now. But if we see another cycle come into play, then very likely that ETH will go through periods of of deflation. Mm. We, we just need more on-chain activity to get people revving up and paying high gas prices. Then it's deflationary again, and the world is right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to take Bitcoin a while to catch up, right? Bitcoin is going to be like, you know, 10 years, basically, until Bitcoin is at the level that Ether is at now, even assuming no net deflation. Yeah, we need a couple happenings. We need another <laughs> two happenings. And there, was, and there was also a great debate uh, on this show between Eric Wall and um, I can't remember who the other person was, but they were talking about um, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin needing to have a, uh, a tail emission. So having to continue to be inflationary in perpetuity, in which case, you know, that tail emission might be on the order of about what Ether is doing right now, uh, which well, again, also breaks the narrative between what Bitcoin and Ether would be about. Well, I, you know, we don't have to get into it on this show because, you know, it's a much broader debate and conversation about the security budget necessary to keep Bitcoin safe in the end years. But fundamentally, I don't think the current model works. I think you have another couple halvenings and it requires the price of Bitcoin to go up <laughs> for the network to be as safe. Um, transaction volume has never supplanted minor 
block rewards, um, as was envisioned by Satoshi in the white paper, which when I read the white paper the first time, I was like, oh my God, that's genius. Like the block rewards are only there until the network is like up and running. It's a bootstrapping mechanism. But transaction fees have never supplanted the block rewards. And so there is a massive security risk to Bitcoin, you know, and a halvening, two halvenings, three halvenings, especially if price don't go up, that I think people are underpricing. Um, and I think Bitcoin fundamentally will change. And I think it can be done in ways that are not going to violate the sort of like immutable $21 million, 21 million token cap on Bitcoin. I, I'm sure Bitcoin will find ways to, you know, maintain a... Are you sure? All right. You want, you want to know developer, my... Every developer just gets run out every time they make a bit. But I don't know. Like, I feel like Jeremy Rubin's been trying to get BIP 119 for like three years. Can you describe 119? Sorry. BIP 119 is a, a way of doing sort of like uh, deferred covenants. So you can kind of like schedule transactions. And so a lot of like, not fully DeFi, but like some DeFi-like constructs that can be made using that, like you can do sort of like hash rate derivatives and, and stuff like that using it. But like Bitcoiners are really against it because it like, it's sort of um, it's like, op, it brings back this op return um, debate in from like 2013, 2014 Bitcoin. And op return was sort of like, hey, you could return an arbitrary value and it would store that. And then people started sort of taking advantage of that in a weird way. And I think like basically people are still kind of feel that way about covenants. But the problem is I don't see, what are you going to do? I, you know, half the time people are like, oh, we're just going to use lightning. Clearly that's not fucking working. Like that, that just like, there's just like, no one wants to run nodes. Like, in fact, there was an amazing tweet the other day by one of the main lightning devs, uh, Bosworth, Andrew Bosworth, that was like, oh, like I only need like 20, 20 gig of RAM to run a lightning node. I thought this it was supposed to run on your phone and you were just connecting to local <laughs> nodes. He can't, he can't even like, and whenever, whenever Bitcoin people are like, oh no, ETH has fat nodes. I'm like, this one fucking person's transactions that he's routing is, is already bigger than probably the, the Uniswap set from 2020 for just the, so like, and, and there's no way it was anywhere near the same amount of volume. So I, I, I just sort of think lightning is kind of a dead end. The whole like Starkware trying to do Starks on Bitcoin thing that, you know, maybe that has legs, but that's going to need things like BIP not 119. I'm just like very bearish on the developer side because like it feels like anyone who isn't like yelling at anyone who isn't like Bitcoin standard reader uh, is sort of like sh shown the door for development stuff. Tom, how, how are the lightning metrics looking? Because I remember, you know, a while back on the show, we were talking about how the metrics of lightning look really good. I was, yeah, I was trying to dig into this a little bit more, but unfortunately it is very hard to get data like in inherently because it's all like off chain. So the network capacities continue to go up, which really shocked me over the past you know year or two. But there's like more and more, you know, Bitcoin in, in Lightning Network for, for uh, they can be, they can be traded, but like, you know, we don't know actually like what that volume looks like. I suspect some of it is probably subsidized by, uh, or like, it is not economically rational for some people to maintain some of these channels, but they maybe do it because they're a startup and they want to make Lightning be a thing. But yeah, I've, I've been trying to get Lightning Network data in terms of volume. I just haven't been able to find anything. Actually, if you go to, so so at least for the publicly indexable nodes, if you go to 1ml.com, that's sort of like 
a reasonable place to look. It, it obviously doesn't have like everything, but like this whole maxi shit from 2019 where like, oh, there's so many private channels because you can only see the open and closes on private channels, not the actual settlement, just turned out to not be true. <laughs> so like the public channels at least give you a reasonable lower bound. And you can see that like, it's kind of like, it, like it is increasing capacity wise, but it's not like the volume is actually really going up. That much. Yeah, that, that was a confusing part. Yeah, if you look at the network capacity, it is 4,800 Bitcoin, which is very small compared to the amount of Bitcoin that's wrapped and put into DeFi on Ethereum and yeah. is flying around. Someone who had their bridge hacked, and I won't mention it, who, but they, they were like, oh yeah, you know, there was more funds stolen in my bridge times three than there was in the Lightning Network ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought uh, was like kind of crazy. Weird, that's weird like flex, but okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad flex, bad, bad. Yeah, flex. yeah. <laughs> I, I agree, I agree, I agree. But I, I thought that was like a funny statistic. Right? It's like, oh, like Bitcoin people are like championing the shit that has like no fucking volume, barely has capacity. When you when you think about it relative to these bridges, where people are are like pummeling through million dollar volume all the time, right? So. But to be clear, if any Bitcoin maxes are listening, we love Lightning. Uh, Tarun, if you please direct your ire at Tarun, not at us. We are we are Team Lightning. Lightning's great. Um, and there, it's interesting how many Lightning startups have also. Uh, isn't uh, David Marcus's startup is like doing a? Yeah. It's like Lightning oriented startup, where if I recall, it was like we're going to figure out what the product is, but we're going to we're going to target Lightning. Yeah. And then Strike Strike. Um, you know, there's been all these stories about how. The El Salvador Bitcoin push is kind of falling apart and, and you know, people on the ground are not really using uh, Bitcoin or Strike very extensively. So it's, you know, because they're growing off a low base, uh, you know, the, I think the lightning growth numbers in terms of capacity look pretty good. But the reality is that as crypto has grown and as the infrastructure has increased, the alternatives to settling Bitcoin through lightning have all gotten better and better and better. And lightning is just not getting that much better. And unless it drastically improves in a short amount of time, or there's some kind of distribution hack that sets into place, I think, I think everything else is just going to overtake it as there's also, there's also this, there's also this sort of schism between the like lightning labs, lightning and uh, Blockstream lightning, because lightning labs added this overlay network called Taro, which has tokens and like you can issue stable coins on it, but it kind of is like its own private network. And so there's kind of this war going on between them of like, you'll, you'll see like the Blockstream Samson type people being like, oh, like they're just like adding in this like private chain. It's not a real lightning. And then Lightning Labs is like, no, 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 no. We at least post some of the commitments. And I'm like, I, the fact that they're <laughs> still debating this shit just like sometimes boggles my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'd also, okay. So coming back to the Ethereum merge and all that. Uh, so ETH Pow, I think we can pretty safely say is dead. Uh, it's now trading at $5, which is basically, uh, what is it, like 40 basis points of Ethereum. It's down 91% from inception. So it launched at like 120 bucks and now it's trading at $5. Um, Tarun, I remember you were telling us how you were in the private discord and you were seeing all the mayhem that was going on. Give us like the, give us the insider play by play of what exactly happened. Well, how well did, that discord disappeared. That discord disappeared. Disappeared. I, I, Wait, why? Yeah. I think they just were like, they didn't want the like negative press in general. Cause a lot of people who are in there were writing all these tweets and stuff like that. So I, then I never, I didn't really, I didn't really follow much other than I heard about all the like maker MEV. Um, some searchers I know I talked to were just talking about how like 
die was sort of like the main uh, form of MEV because you could just like borrow a ton of die against EW collateral and they were running, they were basically running the maker Oracle on their own. And there's enough, like you could just basically background the Oracle. You, you basically take out a really big die deposit and then back, background the Oracle and liquidate your own collateral. And it was like profitable because EW was going down fast. Enough. <laughs> oh, wow. I was curious about that. There's actually like a good amount of EW volume on centralized exchanges. Like it's like 70 mil today or something like that. Is that just like, people doing MEV cashing out, like, like why else, you know, it, it just seems like a very large amount of, of, of volume on like legit exchanges for something that no one is actually building on. I, I wouldn't rule out the POW fork. I, I think that just, really? the, yes. Yeah, really, really. I'll, I'll be the contrarian. I'll say that I would not be surprised if in a year people are like, oh no, this thing is better than Ethereum classic. Let's just use this for like our thing. Um, and I think it's still around. I think everybody viewed it as like, oh, it's free. Let's sell it. And I think if you leave it alone for long enough and like we just come back to this in like one year, I think its price in Ether terms is higher than it is today. Hmm. I I get the feeling that people are going to people are going to walk away from this. I I, I think it's the I think it's the opposite. I think that. ETH, ETH POW, like there, there's, a, there's a narrative moment, I think, for ETH POW. And that narrative moment, unfortunately, has passed. And like, I think blockchains very often have this small moment in the spotlight. And if you, if you, if you mess up your moment in the spotlight, like they don't invite you back on stage. You know? and, and that feels like what happened to ETH POW. But what did they mess up specifically? I think they messed up like actually coming out and having a coherent story, having some kind of pitch to developers, to users, right? Like the only thing I have heard from anyone about ETHPOW is how to sell it and how to trade it, right? And specifically how to trade it in a way that like maximizes you making money from the Ether that you have. To be fair, ETH, ETH, ETHPOW, well, the two versions, uh, biggest fan is Justin and Sun, who, you know, arguably Tron had the same uh, sort of genesis of, uh, you know, the only thing people cared about was really trading it, so... That's true. I mean, I think the, the difference, though, is that I think Justin, for, for whatever criticisms you might make of him, he's clearly a very engaged founder who has big ambitions to how to make Tron successful. And I just don't, I just don't see, I mean, maybe I'm missing it, but I have not seen any story about that with, with ETHPAL. You know, so, you know, this is part of the, the natural tension in blockchains that you do need to have some kind of leadership team for a blockchain to really be viable unless the tech speaks for itself. And it's very hard for the tech to speak for itself in 2022. All right, let's, let's move on. I think at this point, it's depressing enough to talk about <laughs> either, either dumping and ETHPOW being a nightmare. Um, let's talk about other different depressing topics. So uh, one, of the, one of the big news of the week, of course, has been our good friend, Do Kwan, who was on the show before, he, before Terra collapsed and the, the, the vibe around Do Kwan really changed. Um, so, uh, I don't know how else to explain That's just like a funny way of saying it. <laughs> I know, it's, it's been a vibe. Like, I can't talk about Doquan now without feeling like, look, I, like, look, we, I've met Doquan in person multiple times. He's a nice guy. I mean, I know that he's kind of a dick and he's a lot more of a dick online than he is in person. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, it's weird the fact that like, I know him personally and he's like now one of the most famous people in crypto period ever. Right. Just so like Satoshi and then like Doquan. Like Satoshi Vitalik Doquan is probably the list. 
you know, of most famous crypto people. You know, I think the ultimate NFT of this last cycle that I will cherish forever is being followed by these accounts that basically are, you know, under siege in the sense that they're uh, like, like Dosu, Kyle, where like they may, those accounts might be orphaned at some, any point, but like whoever their followers are, you get to keep them forever. <laughs> like if you're followed by them, you're followed. It's like an NFT. Forever. Yeah. It's an NFT. It, it, it is a sort of NFT of the last cycle if you're followed by them, which I, I thought, because like their followers haven't changed. They haven't changed. They haven't been adding mm. followers very much. They've just kind of like. Yeah. They're too busy the to. Yeah. To keep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's weird. Anyway, so Do Kwan, um, the, the news basically is that, uh, so Korean authorities have now put out an arrest warrant for uh, Do Kwan. We don't have a ton of details on exactly what is in the arrest warrant, I believe, but it's something around some financial crimes. Something, something, something. Uh, they, they're seeking to void his passport to prevent him from traveling. Uh, they've now also issued an Interpol red notice to try to prevent him from kind of hopping country to country. Um, Do Kwan claims that he is not on the run, which is a kind of on the run thing to say of like, oh, no, no, I'm not on the run. I'm, I'm totally cool. But I don't know. At this point, it, 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 just, it just seems kind of sad. This whole episode seems very sad where, I, I, to be honest, personally, I, again, you know, having met Do Kwan, all, all the, all the, the, how he is as a person aside, um, I think the, the criminalization of the failure of Terra is a dangerous precedent. And now again, we don't know all the details. You know, they haven't released a whole lot of information about what exactly are the nature of the charges. It could be that they did absolutely heinous stuff, uh, especially going to the Terra collapse, as a lot of people have speculated. Uh, right now, we don't have any hard data to know one way or another whether or not they lied or misrepresented things to people. Um, or if they misappropriated funds from the Luna Foundation Guard for themselves, no one knows. So anything along those lines is really speculation. Um, but assuming that his crime was failing and losing people a lot of money, um, this feels really, this feels like a kind of dark and sad outcome for this whole Terra saga. I don't know if you guys have any reflections on this or if you know anything that I didn't already relay. Well, I only know things that are already in the public domain. Um, but you know, I would suspect he's not being charged with, you know, losing people a lot of money. It's most likely to do with the public statements that he was making about the soundness and the safety of the system, um, which really, you know, is potentially what was causing the harm to the users of the blockchain um, if it was misinformation in some way. Um, you know, you don't, you know, get in trouble for losing people's money. You get in trouble for you know, doing fraud or doing misinformation that loses people money. Like other situations where a huge amount of money gets vaporized and then like it forks between like crime and not crime is like, you know, Archegos, the hedge fund that, you know, imploded like, you know, $20 billion, you know, very quickly, that veered into crime because, you know, they were deceiving banks and the people lending them money. You know, Lehman or AIG, you know, vaporizes $100 billion dollars and it's like oh no no it's no crime because they were a regulated business you know ha, ha, ha. um and i really think it just comes down to whether or not you know somebody's playing by you know supervised rules or not um in deciding I think whether it's also or not just how sympathetic they are right like the, the reality is that if you want to throw the book at somebody you're going to go find something and if a judge or a jury is not going to be sympathetic then you can you can get it done uh, I think, I mean, again, we don't, I don't know. So I'm totally vi wildly speculating, but it, whatever, it's our show, we can speculate. Um, it, it, it feels to me like 
somebody, it needs to feel like someone did something. And issuing an arrest warrant is like the most something that you could possibly do, even if the actual substance of a case is pretty thin. And that, that, that's what this smells like to me, is that you're absolutely right. I'm sure that they can throw things from Twitter feed that says misrepresented the stability of the pro But also like the clearly, it's, you know, it's all in the docs, right? You can see exactly how it works. They talked about death spirals. That's why they raise money to protect against it. And if they didn't raise enough money, that's on you as an investor to decide whether that's enough money to defend the peg. But I will say the foundation guard and like sort of some of the, the like custodial entities involved in the middle may have misrepresented. And those are in my mind, if I were to guess the Luna foundation guard probably is where all the legal liability lies. And I forget if they're a Singapore ND or a Korean ND, but like the accounting and stuff that they were saying, that to me is that feels like that feels like the thing that's where like the the liability exists. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I think, you know, when we were talking about this on the show initially, I was I was saying, you know, let's not criminalize your failure and very much in this this camp of like, you know, Luna was an experiment and but it was all open source and, and audible and it's sort of on you. And it does feel like LFG funds, you know, the rumors they were misused. Um, the basis cash thing all, as well kind of very much rubbed me the wrong way and, and kind of changed my perception. So um, I don't think there's anything, you know, necessarily criminal about what happened with Luna, but it's the stuff on the periphery that I think maybe is getting caught up. Why do you say basis cash? Uh, so by the way, just for quick people who don't know, so basis cash was a pseudonymous implementation of the basis protocol that was actually launched secretly by Do Kwan. He was anonymous when he launched it. It failed. And that was that. Why does that fact rub you the wrong way? Um, something about, I don't know, like missing missing disclosure um, around the fact that like this was happening to like, you know, Luna investors. Um, I don't think there's anything actually like in, you know, uh, the legal system that would, that would, you know, put them behind bars for this. But it's more optically, um, you know, uh, not sort of disclosing this, this fact while you were running Luna seems pretty, I don't know, very strange. I don't think we'd really accept that of like most other... Um, founders, especially if it imploded the same way Basis Cash did. Um, I, I just think it's like a very optically uh, uh, poor decision. I, I see what you're saying. At the same time, like, I don't know anybody who didn't know that Basis Cash failed who like actually understood how stablecoins worked. You know what I mean? But nobody knew that it was Do Kwan's project. Right. But like, is, is the problem with Basis Cash Do Kwan like mismanaged it? Or is it that the fucking model doesn't work? Like that, that seems like the takeaway. It's not that like, wow, yeah. Do Kwan really mismanaged Basis Cash. Well, yeah, basis cash didn't work. Maybe it's more of an argument that like, you know, having concrete evidence of the fact that like this model doesn't work and then going in public and shilling Luna, which is, you know, effectively the same model, arguably even worse, um, feels very off. I mean, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Team Luna right now. I, I totally disagree. Like what they did was they went and raised Luna Foundation Guard a bunch of Bitcoin to prevent exactly what they saw with basis cash, right? So to me, like the basis cash was completely public. All of us knew about Basis Cash. I mean, none of us were Luna investors, but all of us knew about Basis Cash and understood, hey, this is yet another example of this model not working. It's not the exact same as the Terra model. It's different. Terra was a full layer one. They had some applications that were using uh, Luna and Luna was getting integrated and USD was getting integrated in different blockchains. Um, so I think the story that they were presenting was a coherent one, right? And like people fucking knew that most other senior shares coins have broken. So... I, 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 I know, I understand optically, like it's kind of a, it, it's a terrible way to learn that story, right? Like learning that, oh, basis cash was launched as like a little experiment by Doe that blew up and he didn't tell anyone. And then, you know, that we learned that like the day after Terra blows up, it all ends up looking really bad, but 
practically speaking, like unless you're going to uh, impugn the ability of a founder to launch something pseudonymously, or maybe maybe the argument is like, look, Luna's so big that you it, you shouldn't be okay for you to launch something pseudonymously. If this is an experiment that you're trying to learn from, you should allow the rest of your community to learn from it too and understand the way you're thinking about the lessons that come from this. Um, but it, it feels to me like more that it was sensational rather than that there's a clear reason why it was wrong for them to have launched Basis Cash pseudonymously. I do think it's sort of weird in the sense that it is sort of like making a competitor to your main protocol and the under an anon. Yeah. Yes. There are multiple instances in DeFi of that. Uh, you know, obviously we will not name names, but there's obviously quite a few projects where <laughs> a team has gone out and built another project, you know, to the side or on top or adjacent, you know, especially with, you know, anon projects. I think it's more common than people think. Yeah, there was the famous story of the Macalanau brothers who made the curve fork on Solana and ended up getting a bunch of attention. But I'm sure they're I'm sure they're <laughs> I'm sure they're just the tip of the spear when it comes to DeFi founders getting cute with their ecosystems. But anyway, you know, moving a little bit away from Terra and Do Kwan, um, there was another story that was just announced last night that the, the House, the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives, is uh, right now contemplating a bill that will involve the banning of algorithmic stable coins for two years. Um, this seems, I don't know. So the, the, the bill just had a bunch of random crap in it. Um, so if I can just quickly kind of skim through it. Okay, so to place two-year ban on coins similar to TerraUSD, um, it'd be illegal to issue or create new, quote-unquote, endogenously collateralized stable coins. Um, now, to be clear, this effectively grandfathers in currently endogenously collateralized stable coins. So it only says that you can't make a new one or issue a new one. For two years. Uh, in that time, they want there to be some, uh, I think, like the Fed to investigate UST and how it works and like how to create a safer version of this or something. I don't know why they think the Fed is the right organization to do that. Um, and they're also going to be allowing banks and non-banks to issue stablecoins, uh, which you would need to get, uh, you need to get approval from the OCC in order to actually issue such a stablecoin. And then there's some other kind of random stuff in the bill. It seems like a total non-starter bill to me. It seems so half-baked that I think there's just no way this thing is going to see the light of day. Well, I think these changes are ridiculous, and I think these changes make the bill less likely. You know, if you asked me a month ago, I would have said, oh, the stablecoin bill. Like, you know, there has a lot of broad bipartisan support to, you know, regulate stablecoins. Now it's like, you know, getting weirder, and like a lot of that is reactionary to, I think, Terra has scarred or, you know, freaked out a lot of people. You know, from staffers who are the ones writing this legislation to the people that will vote on it. But, you know, I, I think it's crazy. Like, you know, I don't anticipate in its current form it'll pass. But it, the part that's mind boggling to me is that, you know, I never could have imagined a year ago, you know, having a bill, you know, in the House that says no algo stable coins. You will go to jail if you make an algo stable coin. <laughs> Like, that's the surprising part. And, you know, I don't know if the Fed needs to study it. I mean, I've traded almost every algo stablecoin that's ever been created, most of them unsuccessfully. Um, I know a lot about algo stables at this point. And, you know, there's not that much to learn. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think this seems like a, well, it's a very understandable reaction. Wait, can, can, I, can I actually pull the pull the others on the show, what percentage of Luna and or UST and or Anchor, or B, I'm including B Luna recapitalization, what amount do you consider 
what percent of that do you think was U.S. investors versus like Korean versus Singapore? I'm just kind of curious to get a sense of like how much, you know, if it's like Americans lost a billion dollars, then like, yeah, I could kind of see this getting through. If Americans lost a hundred million dollars, probably not. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of hard to get, like, where do you guys fall on that spectrum? I think it was like completely spread out everywhere. I think it was like 50-50. I mean, like everyone I knew was like obsessed with Terra. Like, I don't think that was like a U.S. thing. I don't think that was like an Asian thing. I think like everybody caught up in this because it was like the easiest way to make, you know, 20% until Sorry. it collapsed. 20%. Yeah, 20%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, I'm just more curious about the net damage to U.S. citizens because I kind of just roughly think the probability of success of these bills is like proportional to in some, you know, at least I, I, understand, I, I understand. I understand the point you're making is that, okay, if the U S bore the brunt of the losses, then that makes it more likely that this yeah. kind of regulation is going to pass. I, I actually don't think that's correct. I think that like as a, as a, as a legislator, you have so, you have such low fidelity in actually being able to understand the impact of economic damage. It's much more about the sentiment and the storyline that ends up trickling up into your constituents and into like kind of your, general agenda than it is like a clean, like, you know, distillation of exactly where the damage was. And the, the other thing too, of course, the U.S. is much wealthier than any other country, right? So like, even if we took more of the damage on a percentage basis, it might be much lower. And of course, the other thing is that, like, so remember at the time the Terra collapsed, the market cap of crypto was 1.5 trillion, okay? Terra between Luna and UST on the whole had about $40 billion of market cap. And if you assume that was wiped out completely, which it basically was, then you lost $40 billion out of a $1.5 trillion base. Right? It's not actually, in absolute terms, it's not that much. It was the fact that it brought down all the other crypto assets so much and spooked the shit out of everybody. That was actually the, the, the broader impact, was just the narrative and the, the fear. I, I agree, but I kind of also think that if there was were a lot of American losses, the stories you would get in the news would be would would be like as bad as they are in Korea or Singapore. The Korea and Singapore stories, if you read them, e even just like Google translated, the sentiment is like a hundred times worse than what they are here. So I guess my question is like what, that's why I'm asking kind of like what, where you think the U.S. falls in the, the like loss. If I were to like rank, you know, here's what I bet there's a big confounder here, which is that uh, Korea has a much higher savings rate than the U.S. So I think I suspect that a lot of these countries, like, I mean, ultimately Anchor was a savings product, right? So if you have a very high savings rate, then it's much more likely that you're going to put a lot of your wealth into this product. Whereas in the US, like, because we're such a consumption driven economy, you know, some guy loses 20K and he's like, oh, that sucks. But like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't have that much savings to begin with because I'm, you know, living, I have a ton of debt and I'm living off credit cards. And like, I, you know, a lot of people probably lost their like unemployment checks on Terra which in absolute terms, they lost a lot of their wealth, but they didn't have that much wealth because they were, you know, you know, it was such a credit-driven economy. It's just, it's just kind of different, I think. Like, there, I don't think there'd be nearly as much desperation from people who lost money in the US compared to, uh, clearly you can see it, right? I don't see anywhere near, you're right, the density of stories that you saw coming out of Korea and different parts of Asia than relative what you saw in the US. Hmm. Which is also, I guess, maybe, maybe including all of that, then it, it does feel like these types of bills are not going to pass because I feel like they need that kind of like breach of negative sentiment to get like the level of action you see you're seeing in Korea and supposedly Singapore soon. Well, I think, you know, and this is speaking extremely broadly, but I feel like a lot of the attitude, at least, you know, domestically is like, 
one of like self-reliance and it's like, you know, penny stocks are legal and like most people are smart enough not to lose money on penny stocks. We don't have to like criminalize them and make it illegal to create a penny stock, right? Just most people don't do it. And like, you know, your parents tell you not to buy penny stocks, right? Like, I don't think we have to criminalize making an algo stable coin. I think like what we would be better served by doing is educating people that most algo stable coins are horrifically stupid ideas and that they're going to lose all their money just like they would with a penny stock or playing blackjack, you know? And like, I, I think the better outcome is directing resources towards, you know, education instead of like trying to criminalize something just because there was one like really dumb, you know, implosion. I mean, are, are U.S. entrepreneurs even making algo stable coins? Like, I don't get the sense that, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just feels very, yeah. Yeah, this is not exactly a hot area anymore after Terra. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, there was a moment, but this is the thing. Regulation is always, regulation of this kind is always so backwards looking, right? Like, nobody wants to launch an algo stable right now. Nobody wants to buy algo stables right now. This is a problem the market solved for itself because it saw the most catastrophic, dramatic failure in history. And so it's kind of like, okay, we're going to make this thing illegal that nobody wants to do. It's like, okay, great. Awesome. We're glad you're here to save us. Although I think I've seen an algo stable coin like pitch deck recently. I think there's still like one or two people. Yeah, on there the are few, there's a few, on, there's a few new ones. I, mean, I no feel like funded. Nobody's angle, angle was like the last one I saw that got funded. And it's now like, oh, you can get all these like angle, angle safe yield vaults. <laughs> but they're all just basically trying to be like, oh, we're like, Going to, they're all going sort of like for the Frax model, effectively. Right. I think there's been more convergence around the Frax model, um, which is basically like as minimally algo as possible and right. super, super high collateral ratio, which is basically just like, what's know, the point? Semi full reserve banking. You know, it's very, very safe. Or just, you know, banking with a very high uh, reserve ratio. So like 80%, 70% reserve ratio banking, which is very safe for obvious reasons. The, I guess the other. I mean, other, not not always, not always. For, not for always, not <laughs> always. The other thing I think that makes it particularly sensitive in the U.S. is because we still remember the GFC, right? And it happened here. It happened on our watch. And so I think there's a lot of sensitivity around financial engineering. Wait, wait, in the wait! US. Come on, it, it affected the whole world. <laughs> we caused it. We caused. But yeah, but it, I we guess. caused it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, if you're in Korea, you're like, yeah, the GFC sucked, but like, it wasn't our fault. It was the Americans' fault. Americans screwed everything up for everyone else. And I think for that reason, we have this uh, kind of collective scar tissue that makes us particularly sensitive to Terra, even if there wasn't actually that much direct impact on Americans from Terra. I mean, obviously there was some, but it, it clearly wasn't as pronounced as it was in some of these other countries. Speaking of scar tissue, because I, I remember that uh, there was a, we, whenever we talk about Luna too much, we start getting people tweeting being like, this sucks, stop talking about Luna. So <laughs> <laughs> we probably, we probably should, we probably hit our cap. On, on Luna stuff, but we should talk about the other scar tissue, which is winter mute. Oh, yeah. This is a sad one. This is really sad. So, um, so winter mute. For those of you who don't know, winter mute is one of the most highly regarded market making firms in crypto. They're very DeFi native market making firms. They do a lot of stuff on chain in DeFi through uh, DEXs and and other you know DeFi uh, platforms. They ended up getting hacked. So the the backstory was that um, there was a, a revelation by the One Inch team that there's a, a tool used to create vanity addresses called profanity. So vanity address, for those of you who don't know, uh, normally when you create an address on the blockchain, you just, you, you just generate some randomness and it creates this uh, an address, which is basically the equivalent of your public key. Um, and this address is just a bunch of random bits. Um, but what you can do is you can grind 
to try to find a, uh, you know, basically try to generate more and more addresses one at a time until you get an address that has some kind of nice prefix that you want. So you might have a prefix that says, you know, dead beef. And that's cool because like it just kind of looks cool. It might cost you a bit of money to generate that by repeatedly trying, you know, millions or billions of combinations until you finally get one that has the right prefix. But with some mathematical certainty, you can, you can do this. So there are a lot of tools to generate these vanity addresses. One of these tools was called profanity. And profanity, uh, the one inch team revealed that there was a bug in profanity, uh, or not a bug, but an implementation flaw that profanity, uh, normally, you know, an address has uh, 256 bits of entropy, but they, uh, were, do they were doing something very stupid where basically they seeded this algorithm with 32 bits of entropy and then did some key derivation that was deterministic to extend it out to 256 bits, which basically meant that the entropy of anything generated by, uh, by profanity was basically 32 bits, uh, modulo with some extra, you know, kind of grinding on top. And, and to give people who, who don't think in binary, uh, a rough question, 32 bits has 4 billion numbers. 4 billion operations is not a lot, especially when the only thing you're really doing is doing a couple elliptic curve multiplies or adds, depending on or side, your belief in the, the poll that Vitalik and Dan had a fight over on Twitter. Um, but it, it, it's actually a very small set of things, right? Whereas um, two to the two, 256-bit integers is roughly 10 to the 80th, so one followed by 80 zeros, well, 83 zeros. And uh, that's slightly more than the number of particles in the known universe. So that 4 billion is a very tractable number. 10 to 80th is not a very tractable number. And that's sort of like the problem. With the... That's right. With, with 4 billion potential addresses or, or seeds, rather, uh, with 4 billion potential seeds to try to iterate through, you can do that on, you know, like, you don't even need fancy hardware in order to go through 4 billion possibilities. Um, so what ended up happening was that when one is disclosed this, uh, there was a bunch of folks who realized that they had these profanity uh, generated addresses, vanity addresses that had already gotten hacked in the past. Um, and, but everybody started trying to migrate their profanity addresses away uh, because of course they were now known to be uh, insecure. And Wintermute, I didn't actually catch the details of what they were doing because there was some kind of, there was some kind of multisig or something that their profanity address was on and they, 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 so Wintermute, by the way, has had a couple fuck-ups that have been epic. Um, and they generally tend to come from the fact that, like, you know, when you look at, like, the top-tier DeFi trading firms, like the SVPs of the world, they never make f***ing dumb mistakes like this. So I, I think this is actually Wintermute's sort of technical incompetence. Not, I would not, I would not uh, qualify this as a uh, kind of like, oh, like, we should feel totally bad. And, like, oh, it's great that they, like, gave us the truth on Twitter. That's not true. This is incompetence. Like, there's a CVE out. Like you should be like changing your systems and monitoring stuff. So Wintermute's first up was when op they were supposed to be a market maker for optimism and they didn't initialize the Gnosis safe on optimism as they did on mainnet. And then like someone figured out again, a, a, a kind of like a way where like you could figure out what the sort of private key was more efficiently, or you deploy to that address and you own it. Right. They kind of up on the cybersecurity stuff like left and right, there's a bunch of examples with them. So like, this is actually them being kind of like incompetent, like trading firms normally are structured in the normal markets where like, okay, if I'm starting HFT firm and I trade futures at the CME or I trade equities at NASDAQ and I colo there, if NASDAQ f***s up some cybersecurity thing and like someone breaks in and like changes my net margin or balance and gets me liquidated, I sue the shit out of them, right? But you can't do that here. There's no, there's no, there's no reversion function here. 
And that means you have to be thinking about red teaming your code. You can't be, you can't just like have this like YOLO like attitude towards cybersecurity stuff as a trading firm. You actually have to act like a cybersecurity firm or, or to some extent an auditor. That's why some of the best DeFi trading firms are actually people who are auditors first and traders second. Whereas the people who are kind of like keeping up like Wintermute are mainly traders who like treat it like it's centralized trading. And it, that's very irresponsible, especially when you have other people's money in their case. Um, and so I, I actually don't don't think of this as like, oh, a sad story. I think this is a, a cultural up on their part for not actually taking the cybersecurity and tech side seriously. Because like this is a huge CVE. The, so the index finance hacker, in fact, got his, his, his address drained. It was like, you know, Robin Hood, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, and I thought that was kind of funny. But there were so many things on in the world that were like happening post this post by Wondich. And there's a bunch of other people who validated different ways of like emulating it. And like, you have a f***ing set of wallets with $100 million and you're not like reading these CVEs. That's your f***ing incompetence. That's not that you shouldn't be trading on chain. Just stick, stick to centralized. You should never be trading on chain. Well, especially... Especially that much money in what amounts to like an EOA. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's why I'm saying like all these people giving them compliments on Twitter. I, I kind of disagree with like fundamentally mm. that they should just look, stop trading. Mean, here, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I, understand, I understand your point, and, and clearly, look when when this 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 was revealed, the, the one inch um, disclosure was like two weeks ago. It was a while ago. This is not like the moment that it happened, and then they got they got you know they got got. That being said, the, the one thing that I will give. Wintermute credit for is that, I mean, one, they owned up to it, right? Like you, you said, okay, SCP and some of these other guys, like they don't have these kinds of colossal. Well, they're also a lot quieter, right? So they don't, they don't, you don't, you don't necessarily see what they have made. We don't sure. know what mess ups that other firms have made. I guarantee you, everybody who's been doing this long enough has made massive. Ups. Um, so that, that's one, right? Like just the velocity of stuff that they're doing, they're going to mess things up. Crypto's hard. Everybody has messed up in, in sure. some, some in bigger ways than others, but like, the, you know, I, I agree with you. But the reason I, I say this is they, Wintermute has had very recently some clear f***ing big yeah. stuff. And yeah. they, mm. that I, shows a like, cultural problem. That shows like, like I would not want them market making any f***ing protocol at all, ever. They should just like get out of De DeFi trading. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree. And look, the magnitude of this failure is so big that there's a, there's a good possibility that they wiped out all their profits from DeFi, potentially since inception. I have no idea, but that seems plausible to me that basically they're like net down on, on DeFi after having lost 160 million of their own money. Now, that being said, the thing I'll give them credit for is that it's their money, right? They, they, uh, although yes, they are market makers, they have these loans, they have these loans from protocols. Yes, yes, like yes. that's, that is very different. That's why I'm saying like, you actually have to, right. like they're covering it with their own money right now. Yes. But they yes. actually did technically lose a protocol's assets the same way they lost optimism's assets. Like it, 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 it it shows that like they're like they, they, they've said, like I a, believe they said that they're going to pay back the the on chain debts. No, they're, they, they're going to pay they're going to pay them back. But my point is, if you are custodying these assets that are given to you as a loan, you should be treating them with like the type yeah, of security. Custody. Of no, custodian. No, that's custody. no, 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 no. That's not custody, man. That's a that's a you're, you're they're in debt. That's not custody. When you're in a market making loan, these things are kind of half custody, half pure debt because like you, you yes in a market making loan yes in a market making loan yes but not the on-chain borrows but you have slas yes. that you you sign up and you're basically not guaranteeing them by Look, dues, okay right? I, so I, 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 this is saying, why i think let's give them the time to see whether they actually pay everybody back and and make yeah, it whole sure, sure. it's pretty clear look wintermute they plan to be running for a long time they have a big enough balance sheet 
they have, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Evgeny said that, look, we have a bunch of positive equity. We're going to be fine. This hurts. Uh, clearly, that's a lot of money to lose for anybody. Um, and there's also the possibility of getting some uh, remediation because it is a lot of sure. money to try to move through DeFi, especially with Tornado now. You know, in some way. Well, they, they, the, 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 hacker, the hacker was pretty smart. They put it in the curve pool. Like, that was the first transaction. Cause like, the only thing you can do that is freeze the whole pool. And I don't, I don't, I think like that's, it was a, it, the, whoever did this is actually quite, was quite competent. Yeah. Yes, they were smart, but you can still see like that, that doesn't, that doesn't prevent, it's not cashing out, right? Like, you still need to somehow cash out. Sure. sure. Uh, somehow out of crypto. And, and it's pretty easy to follow in a post tornado world. So. I think there's a good chance for recovery for at least some of the assets and Binance, they announced that they were on it. Um, but I, I, I feel like, look, losing 160 million sucks. And for sure, I, I agree with you. Look, they're, we don't need to yell at them. They're going to learn this lesson. They've already learned a good, a good chunk of it. The fact that they are not a fund, right? They're a market maker. They, they raise equity capital, but they run their own money. So for me, it's like, look, there's no, uh, there's no, um, principal agent problem here, right? These guys are facing the 100% the brunt of the losses that they that they took, and it's on them to fix it, remediate it, and and, and do things right. Yeah, I, I guess I'm more pointing out from the perspective of I have a protocol, a new on-chain protocol, and I'm like, hey, which market maker should I go to? Like, if, if someone I invest in is like, what market maker? I would just basically tell them never go to Interview. The, like, they've proven <laughs> that this is like a problem. I don't know. Like, you could argue that, like, look, you shouldn't, you shouldn't work with Jump because Jump lost all this money in Wormhole and blah, blah, blah. But then Wormhole, like, Jump put the money back in Wormhole and it's all good. So to me, that's actually the strongest sign of strength. If you f up for 160 million and you make good on all your debts, that's a strong sign that, okay, these guys are. This is different than Wormhole. This is like there was an active CVE for multiple weeks. This is not like there was like mm -hmm. a niche bug in, in this complicated software stack. That, that happened like th this was like something where there was so many like this is more sure. like incompetence than it is like mount like kind of like I, I i agree with that in that if you're running a hot wallet with 160 million dollars of funds or more that it manages you better be really careful about managing that hot wallet especially if it's a vanity hot wallet i mean i wouldn't use any address creation tool ever to make a wallet that stores a lot of money like maybe for you know a couple NFTs, it's fine, right? But like, let alone using like an address generating tool, <laughs> you have a hot wallet that has $160 million. I was just gonna say, if you, if you talk to any custodians who are like generating entropy for like an NPC ceremony or for, they literally will like have a laptop like in a room that's like a Faraday cage and like absolutely no connectivity to generate the, the initial entropy. And then like here we have the YOLO entropy, right? Like, and this is, this is the kind of thing I'm saying, like exchanges and custodians are very, very careful about this type of stuff. And they've built their business up. In the defense, in the defense, in the defense of Wintermute, right? So they, they, they said the reason why they used profanity was not because they wanted to look cool and generate this cool address. The reason why they did it was because they generated an address that had a large number of prefix zeros which actually is more gas optimized, right? And their whole thing is that, look, we, we did this not for vanity, but for optimization. And of course, premature optimization is the end. <laughs> I know. Right, I, I know. Like, the CV is. I saw a good chart that was like, you know, they saved like 16K in gas on the address and then they lost like $160 million. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe, maybe not positive EV on that, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we also, we don't know that they didn't take profanity and go run it inside, you know, Faraday cage. So, you know, 
like it's a you know it's a client side thing, right? So they they still have to generate the entropy client side. Um, but yeah, look, uh, Tarun, you make a good point. They the, the the good thing here is that they lost their own money. So that's the most you can hope for when somebody messes up is that they are completely internalizing the cost of their mistake, which uh, which you can't say for many other failures in crypto. So for that reason, that is the reason why for me, I think it's very very different than something like Terra. I, and I think the interesting thing that this has shown, if we look over the last few years, is the new type of trading for, you know, like when electronic trading started, say, like pre Reagan MS, so like 2000, when it was like really starting to heat up, it was like, oh, like you, it, these new types of people entered finance who looked very different than the old type of people, right? Like the 90s was like the math and physics PhDs, but then like the 2000s was like all the hard, well, 2000 was really like, software engineer, like low-level software engineers, and then 2010s, like hardware engineers. And there's kind of, at each stage of like finances, like kind of increase in history, it like adds one new technical skill that like the next generation of trading firms have to have. And clearly this has shown that like the cybersecurity OPSEC type of thing is the next like high demand, like finance job. That would be, that would be my guess for the next 10 years. Unless there's startups and platforms that abstracted away for people like you should be able to plug in or trade in DeFi without having to like become the world's best at cybersecurity. Like, I think this is the gap and there's obviously a lot of startups like that are attempting to fill this gap and like, I'm bullish on this, but like, I guess my view is like, you shouldn't have to be, you know, having like hard science inside like a trading firm. You should be able to plug in to someone that can like incredibly securely give you access to any smart contract without, you know, private key management. I mean, as long as these things are turning complete, there's just no way we're going to get there anytime soon. It's kind of like, you know, you could say like, well, why is it the trading firms need to have like hardware engineers working on, you know, uh, optimizing FPGAs and all this other stuff? It's like, well, in, in some sense, you can't be too prescriptive about what finance should and shouldn't be. Finance is always going to find some way. Finance also likes to vertically integrate, right? They don't like people at each firm like to silo and like not, you know, and, and I feel like that's what's going to happen. That's kind of what will end up happening here. But it's good. It's like a good evolution. Like people having these events means that people realize that they have to start by focusing on these things. But there's always someone who takes a huge loss. Like there's always the LTCM of, of like every new kind of financial world. So maybe, maybe this is hopefully this is the maximum of that. I kind of doubt it. I mean, every time I put that in crypto, <laughs> like the next week there's an even bigger one. Yeah. yeah. Someone else is going to lose a lot more money at some point. Yeah. yeah. If there, if there is one bet to make in crypto, this is, this is one thing that uh, Kyle Samani says a lot is that the, the, the number one lesson in crypto is that basically people have the memory of goldfish and nobody ever learns anything really. Like there, if you can bake the lesson into the software, then maybe you can solve it. But if you can't do that, you're you're screwed to repeat history. And I think that's probably the case here. Well, I learned this specific lesson in like 2013 when I tried to use like a website to make a Bitcoin paper wallet. <laughs> I learned Did the you lesson. just like siphon your address or what? what yeah, happened? yeah, never use, never generate an address, you know, unless it's in a Faraday cage, you know, or it's on hardware. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's been a week full of just kind of depressing, bad stuff. We haven't talked about anything positive. Has anything positive happened to any of you guys in crypto in the last week that we can end the show on? 
Well, the merge was a success. And the, the, merge, Ethereum, yes, <laughs> the Ethereum blockchain is humming along. It's incredible. So that's the silver. That's line. great. Yeah, I was up super late that night. Um, I was on the East Coast. And so it was like 3 a.m. that the merge finally went through. And I was watching the I was watching the live stream of like, you know, all the ETH devs in Berlin and they were all just like everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe it's really happening. And I, I got really choked up. It was like a really special moment. Uh, and then markets had to go on all of it the next day. So but we can't have anything nice in crypto for longer than <laughs> longer than a few hours. Ah, ah, that's not true. You're just you're just you're just like wallowing in the the bear market. You should be we should be excited about all the new technologies yeah, people are working on instead of new sh- dog coins. Yeah, right? there's no new dog coins coming out right now, which is that's that, a positive. That, that's good. That's that's up. That's up. No, I actually saw I actually saw that there was winter mute Inu. Uh was actually a token. Oh my God. That, <laughs> Why? Why? Why must you do that to them? That's what's we got to get Evgeny on the show. We got to get Evgeny on the show. I, feel I, like I agree. We need we need, oh. him, we need him to defend his honor. I think we need to get Evgeny and Tarun one on one. Get them to hug it out because it felt like there was a. I, I, didn't, was a I didn't mean to just take out jests on them. But I've seen a bunch of these trading firm mistakes, and like I, I and then you see that you see the SCPs. Then you see the people who are. There's only one trading firm who's ever done a JIT attack. JIT is a just-in-time liquidity attack where you add a bunch of uh, Uniswap LP position right in Wait, front of trade and remove it. Now? So that I mean, they, all these people say attack, but it's just a trade, really opportunity. Yeah. But you can't flash loan it, so you have to put up capital, and it's actually quite hard to execute because you have to hedge the the, the price movement that uh, happens. And like the people doing that, you can like see that they're like churning addresses and doing all sorts of crazy stuff to hide themselves. And like, I, I think there are some people out there who are extremely competent at OPSEC stuff, like really, really like very, very competent. And like, I think those people will be the, 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 the firms that kind of win in the long run. That's true. To end the show, I'd like to ask Tarun a hypothetical question. If you had a protocol with a treasury, and you had to pick who to send it to, either Wintermute or Three Arrows Capital in their treasury management program circa <laughs> one year ago. You know, I was at Mainnet and someone, someone today had a, a shirt that on the front said Three Arrows Capital Treasury Management, on the back said Three Arrows Capital Risk Management. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> That's well, pretty good. As long as we're talking about cool shirts, I got to uh, rep my shirt a little bit right now. I guess Ooh, probably not yeah. on the camera. Nice. Yeah. No, no, actually, it looked great. Um, yeah, look, look, look. I, if I only had those two options, I would say Wintermute. But honestly, I'd rather pay up for the people I know who win the liquidation wars because, like, those people are clearly the best. <laughs> like, but they're not going to take your money. That's the problem. Well, no, no, they'll do protocol market making. They're fine with that. Sure. No, I'm taking. They don't take external capital. Is what, is what I mean. But yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you, it's either <laughs> it's either three euros or you, you know, you, you take you have to take what you can get, man. Anyway, anyway. All right. So to wrap sure. up just real quick, uh, just because I've been, this show has been such a downer. One thing from each of us that you're excited about, um, I will, I'll, I'll go first. I'm really excited about ZKVMs coming to mainnet. Uh, Tom, what are you excited about? Uh, this is kind of random, but internet game launched this week and I've been playing and it's super fun. It's like the most fun I've had playing a crypto game. So everyone, everyone should check it out. It's like, uh, yeah, it's been great. Is it a is, GPS is Web3 game? It is not. It is a game that you play in your browser, which makes it fun. It's good, you know. 
is this the thing where you win NFTs? It's like HQ, like type yes, of thing? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it makes it okay. high stakes because it's like, I bought this ticket and I, I want to win, you know, the NFT. And so it's like, there's, there's skin in the game and people are getting really competitive about it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool uh, energy. Robert, what are you excited about? I'm excited about Compound V3. It's running. It's pretty sweet. It's going to grow. It's, it's humming. It's new. Nice. Exciting. Tarun. Uh, I'm excited about features in lending protocols like the Compound V3, where the supply side and demand side rates are adjustable separately. That's, that will change some of the capital efficiency in DeFi. <laughs> okay. No, leave it to Tarun to find the most esoteric detail to get excited about. That's great. I love that. Cool. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week. I'm sure prices will be a lot higher than they are today. Not really. I have no idea. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>